Welcome to the Be Body Empowered podcast. I am your host and functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner, Jessica Vargas. This podcast was inspired by a passion to empower highly ambitious women in realizing their full potential to step into a powerful and thriving lifestyle through mastering their own health. It is my intention with each episode to educate and inspire you to take bite-sized steps to improve your well-being, reverse chronic illness, and create self-advocacy one body system at a time. When a woman feels good in and about her body, her potential is limitless and the ripple effects expand beyond imagination. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. I feel like I say that about every episode, but I really am excited about today. (laughs) The topic we're going to explore is gluten and its correlation to insulin resistance. So the goal for today is to explore how gluten can be a route to blood sugar imbalances. I'm going to give you a brief overview, a refresher, if you will, of insulin resistance. We'll talk a little bit about where gluten can be found, which it's more than just bread and pasta. And then I'm going to briefly describe the mechanisms behind why gluten may be a culprit when it comes to insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, and really any other inflammatory condition out there. And then we'll wrap up the episode with just some tips on if you are trying to go gluten-free, how you might be able to achieve that um, in a way that it doesn't add more issues to the body. So let's dive in. Just a quick refresher. Insulin resistance, what is it? Well, if you've been here for a while, you probably know by now what it is, but let me just quickly go over that. So when you have a properly working um, metabolic system, we'll call it, you eat food and that food breaks down and usually has carbohydrates as part of the macronutrients. Those macronutrients will trigger Um, the release of insulin, which is a hormone that is secreted by our beta cells from the pancreas. Now that hormone is, you can think of it as like a key, okay? And it is, it finds the cells and it helps unlock the cells and escort our blood sugar, our sugars that have been broken down into the bloodstream and into the cells so that it can create energy. And when that's working right, you eat, Blood sugars rise um, to normal levels. Insulin is summoned. Insulin comes, escorts sugars into the cells, into uh, the tissues, and then whatever's left over into uh, the liver stored as glycogen for later. And then, you know, you go several hours between when you ate last to when you eat again. And we're talking anywhere from four to six hours. Okay, that is a normal mechanism. You eat, you feel full you uh, feel satisfied, you have energy, uh, there's no cravings, and you literally can go anywhere from four, five, six hours, maybe even longer uh, without feeling awful (laughs) and needing to uh, snack in between meals. So that is what we want to strive for. Now, when you're thinking about insulin resistance, it's really kind of the opposite. So you eat, your food breaks down, your uh, your blood glucose, your sugars in your blood start to rise. 
uh, which sends the signal to the pancreas, okay, time for some insulin. Now here's where the breakdown starts happening. When you have insulin resistance, that insulin hormone comes to unlock the cells to say, okay, we got some sugar, here's some energy. The cell won't open. It's so used to insulin being in the stream that it's like, oh, you again, or perhaps we're full. We already have plenty of energy. Now this could be because of, like I said, just insulin resistance in general through other mechanisms, or it could just be because you eat a high carbohydrate diet or you eat too often throughout the day. And there's more reasons behind that, but those are some just top basic reasons of what could cause insulin resistance. Also having excess fat tissue can be a big issue if you think about tissues or cells and when there's excess amount of fat in those cells, it's full. There's not much room left to add in more energy. And so when that happens, again, when the call of insulin comes by, those cells that are, you know, quote unquote full are going to be resistant to opening up and uh, allowing more sugar to come into it. So unfortunately, because of the breakdown of the ability to get the sugars out of the blood and into the cells, eventually your body will store it as fat. And because it didn't get the energy it was looking for, unfortunately, your cravings go up and you're hungry, usually a few two to three hours, maybe even sooner later. And so, you know, this is where you have, you maybe eat a, a large meal and you're either tired after that meal or you're hungry two hours later and you're like, I don't get this. I just ate. Why am I so hungry? Um, insatiable cravings, obviously, like I said, sleepiness, moodiness, all of that um, is, is a, a very big sign of blood sugar imbalances and irregularities. So that's, that's insulin resistance at a very, very, very high level. Okay. Now, just switching gears to gluten, and then we'll kind of go into how the gluten and insulin resistance correlate. So most people think of gluten, they think of bread, they think of, you know, pasta, uh, they think of maybe uh, biscuits or um, maybe crackers and, and really, you know, flour-based products. Um, but that's really all people think about. Um, people that are a little bit more versed and have maybe um, researched more in the nutrition world understand that it's actually uh, <laughs> more prevalent than that. So gluten really is found in various grains, such as wheat, which is the most popular flour products, barley, and rye, okay? And unfortunately, gluten products, gluten and its cousins have found its way into majority of products. So just give you an idea of how prevalent gluten can be beyond the biscuits and the bread and the pasta and, uh, you know, the crackers, right? Think of things like um, breadcrumbs, right? Even though people realize it's bread, people might not connect that that is a gluten-based product. Many cereals are, are made with wheat. Uh, couscous, um, durum, which is another type of wheat. People don't realize that durum is wheat. So if you're looking at food labels and you see durum instead of wheat, you're thinking, oh, this might be not, you know, might not have wheat in it. People that are avoiding wheat. Uh, obviously the package will not say gluten-free. And we'll talk about packaging in this episode as well. Um, things like camut, which is another type of wheat. Um, matzo meal. Um, oats, 
like oatmeal, oat bran, oat flour, and whole oats. So unless they're from a pure, uncontaminated source marked gluten-free, you'd have to expect some cross-contamination with oats or even, um, unfortunately, um, you know, some type of, some of these products actually cut their products with additional flours like wheat, durum, kamut. So you really got to be paying attention to make sure that it's only oats, purely organic, ideally because of glyphosate, um, but also because of the cross-contamination. Um, we mentioned pasta, things like pancakes, okay? Um, semolina flour, a lot of pastas use semolina instead of wheat-based um, so that's a big that's a big red flag there. Waffles, um, bran, um, anything that says starch or germ or modified wheat starch, um, and that's just kind of the obvious grain and grain products. But then you have things like brownies and cakes and cookies. Some ice cream varieties might be the ones that have like the cookie dough and the brownies in them. Um, things like licorice, like you wouldn't assume licorice is gluten because you think oh this isn't bread, but the ingredients that is used to make products like licorice, they put in them for, you know, to make sure they, they hold together, okay? Uh, things like pies, you know, the filling in the crust, puddings, some chocolate bars, you have to be careful if they have additives, right? Anything with the crunch in them. Again, a little less obvious, but still pretty obvious when you think about cakes and cookies and brownies and stuff. But then moving on to things like condiments and sauces. So cheese sauces, especially cheese sauces, right, made with flour base. Malt vinegar. This was one that I did not know for years and absolutely contributed to my autoimmunity. If you are new here, I was diagnosed in 2011 with ulcerative colitis and I'm a healthy girl. I exercise daily. I watch my my diet. I've never been overweight, even while pregnant with two children. Um, and you know, really, at the end of the day, it's kind of funny because we all attribute you know low weight and eating healthy to being healthy. But unfortunately, this day and age, it's not enough. It's not enough to just eat right and move your body. There's plenty of other things that we have to pay attention to, especially after pregnancy, especially as we get over the age of 35, even 40. Um, it's not as easy as eating right and moving your body. So malt vinegar, I'm gonna, you know, you might judge me right now, but when I was a kid, um, I don't know if you've heard of Long John Silver's, but I was obsessed with that place. My mom and my father got divorced when I was young, two, three years old. And so we lived predominantly with my mom and uh, my mom made home cooked meals all the time. We rarely ate out, especially with fast food, but every once in a while, single parent, two kids, right? She, I'm sure she needed a break from now and again from cooking. We would go to Long John Silver's and I would drench my chicken fingers and fries in malt vinegar and those hush puppies. Oh my God, so good. My mouth is literally watering right now. <laughs> and I would drench it like I have an obsession with vinegar, even to this day. I definitely do not eat malt vinegar anymore. Um, it's more apple cider vinegar and red vinegars. But um, I have always been a sour haha, person. And I was obsessed with malt. It was always in the house. I was always eating it, putting on chicken whenever I could put it on. Um, so that's my little story when it comes to malt vinegar. And it's just funny how you kind of look through your life and go, oh, yeah, that that probably was a big contributor. And, and you would have never known. Otherwise, it's vinegar. You're thinking, oh, healthy. It's just vinegar. 
Um, salad dressing, sauces, marinades, things like gravies. This was a big one that I actually was appalled, but seasonings, okay? Lots of seasoning. Unfortunately, seasonings um, can be cut with flour products. So if you ever, you know, go into your kitchen after this episode or do it now if you're, you know, multitasking and look at some of the combination seasonings like the garlic salt or garlic pepper or whatever. And you will see some of them these days have use rice flour now because of the gluten, uh, the gluten free epidemic. But unfortunately, a lot of these um, seasonings are cut with flour based products and that's to help from caking. Um, so they, you know, they add it in. Soy sauce, again, grew up eating white rice and soy sauce. Always, it's like a staple for us. Soy, unfortunately, contains gluten. You'd want to go to Tamari if um, you haven't made that conversion at all. Worcestershire sauce, again, another another key component in our in our arsenal of sauces in, in while I was growing up. Um, and then you got you know beer. Obviously, if you not maybe you weren't. It wasn't obvious, but I'm sorry. Beer does have gluten. Some instant coffee flavored beverages add also. Um, you know, in filler ingredients, flavored coffees, flavored teas, things like soups, um, communion wafers. If a few of my clients are listening, some of them I know go and get communion. They actually go and get the gluten-free communion. Um, so that's something to be on the, the lookout. Processed foods, obviously most processed foods are cut with wheat, basically wheat crackers, wheat, uh, anything that's processed. Um, things like sausages, hot dogs, deli meats, not all of them, but some of them do. I, I have the fillers in there. Um, Satan, if you are not Satan, not Satan, but Satan is the meat-like food derived from wheat gluten. So it's usually in like the tofu section um, or the alternative meat section. Um, and then of course, all kinds of alcohol-based extracts. So non-pure vanilla extract, if you buy some cheap vanilla extracts, you might see gluten product uh, as a filler brown rice syrup unfortunately you're thinking it's brown rice but they do like i said cut um more into the product um things like hydrolyzed plant protein or vegetable protein hydrolyzed wheat protein maybe the wheat would have tipped you off um, anything malt like i mentioned malted milk malt extract malt syrup malt flavoring um, these are all things that contain gluten so it's beyond the bread and the pasta and beyond the crackers. Um, if you are curious about getting a handout to know where all the places gluten can live, uh, come over to Instagram at Be Body Empowered and just type in the DMs gluten. Um, one, I'll know you listen to this podcast, which would make me really happy. Um, and two, I will send you over a little PDF of, uh, everything I really just went over right now so that you can print out and paste to your fridge. If you are indeed trying to reduce your gluten consumption, um, or go gluten-free completely. So let's dive into why this is a problem. So a little science lesson on the gluten, on gluten in general, and what it does once it gets into the body. So gluten, there is a protein within gluten called gliadin. And unfortunately that protein, and again, this, this doesn't know whether you're celiac, non-celiac, or you think there's no problems with gluten for you. This happens to everybody just at different rates and different percept per perceptions, okay? So when you ingest gluten, okay, when you actually eat gluten, 
this protein called gliadin, which is found in, like I said, grains like wheat, barley, rye, and all the things that we just chatted about, um, it can trigger a release of this of this protein called zonulin, which is inside the gliadin. Okay. And zonulin is involved in modulating what is called scientifically those tight junctions in the intestinal lining, uh, which controls their, the opening and closing of the nutrients. So if you think about your small intestine, it's kind of like a mesh. I, I did a workshop once, an in-person workshop where I used some cheesecloth and I, um, I, I did a cheesecloth and almond milk demonstration with my uh, almond cow. And really it was the pulp of the almond and the liquid of the almond milk. And I used a, if you can visualize this, a mesh, like a cheesecloth mesh. And you have one mesh where there's no holes in it, meaning you didn't put any holes in it. I actually cut holes in one of the meshes. And I have one mesh where I, I cut the holes in. So you have one mesh that's just a normal cheesecloth and one mesh with some holes into it. And then you put this, the pulp, the, the liquid, and you squeeze, right? You squeeze the one without the holes and the, all the pulp stays in the mesh. That's what we want. So you think about your food. Um, when you break your food down from your stomach to your small intestine, and I'm totally over, oversimplifying the digestive process right now, but you get the, you get the gist. Um, we want our food to be pulverized. We want it to break down into smaller constituents so that our body can absorb the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, uh, the energy, and nothing more into our bloodstream so that we can use it, like I said, for ATP, for, for energy in our cells. That's what we want to happen. Unfortunately, when these tight junctions get loose from foods that cause the looseness, like gluten, those junctions start to open up a bit. They, they relax. And you think about now the cheesecloth with the holes in it, um, and then you squeeze the almond pulp and liquid, and the pulp and the liquid start to come through the holes. That is what is happening when your gut becomes hyperpermeable, you may have heard it, or leaky. Not only are you getting the good stuff, but now you're getting undigested proteins um, into the bloodstream. When this happens, your body hits the alarm button. It's like, what the hell is this? This is foreign. And in reality, it, some of it may be foreign, meaning some of it may be pathogens, bacteria, which you know hitchhikes onto our food all the time through the air, through the food, or it may just be your, you know, your chicken sandwich from earlier in the day that was undigested, meaning the proteins from that sandwich were not uh, cleaved enough to break down. And so your body sees those as foreign because they're not in their amino acid form. Instead, they're in their longer chain, a peptide form. Um, and your body's like, this isn't, this isn't cool. It's not kosher. Let's attack. And that attack leads to what we know as inflammation. Unfortunately, you may not perceive this inflammation um, in the body unless you've had an advanced, you know, unless you're dealing with gut issues and advanced issues like autoimmunity, diabetes. Again, we'll talk about the insulin portion of that soon. Um, and so you may think, you may not feel anything, or you may feel things that are a little more obvious from a digestive perspective, like bloating, gassiness, um, you know, and uh, maybe constipation, diarrhea, you have to run to the bathroom, or you may feel things like uh, your joints hurt. 
um, or your muscles hurt or your low back hurts. Uh, for me, that's where gluten attacks me. Um, I do end up getting kind of, it's called like the wheat belly. That lower belly pooch is way more pronounced on me when I've been eating gluten. I, I don't eat gluten anymore. Um, and my elbows and my knees hurt a ton. So I know when I've accidentally ingested gluten about a day or two later, I bend over or I lift a, you know, I do a bicep curl and it's painful. So that inflammation, it's the the redness, the swelling, the warmth, and the pain um, is what is inflammation. It's your immune system attacking. It's going to the site of the insult and it's cleaning it up effectively, which causes the redness, the soreness, um, the uh, swelling, and, and the pain. And so how is this related to insulin? Let's dive in. So inflammation in the body is damaging to the cell membranes, okay? And when you think about your body is working on cleaning up inflammation, first of all, when you're working on cleaning up inflammation, then you got to think about your body as a system. And if the system is bogged down in a certain area, you have to understand that maybe, um, so it's going to throttle its effectiveness in other areas. So I'm a, I'm a computer engineer. So I like to think of things in terms of power electronics. So if you're thinking about a computer, and you have one program that is super compute intensive, okay? It's a lot of computations. It needs a lot of the horsepower from your computer. Um, then maybe you have three other applications open at the same time. You're gonna notice that those other three applications are moving like snail pace, where you have this high compute intensive application open, it's running at full speed. That effectively is what's happening inside your body when you have this meta, this chronic inflammation. Other parts of your body start to break down. Okay, so hormones, for instance, is an area. Obviously, uh, digestive health is an area. Energy, meaning your body is not able to extract the, the energy from the food because, again, it's too busy cleaning up and fighting it, the war against inflammation. And then to round it out, insulin resistance. So when you damage the cell lining in your body, you are damaging the cell receptor that is responsible for insulin uh, the insulin, the lock and key that I talked about. So there's a little lock and that little lock part of the cell gets damaged. So when insulin comes, it doesn't open. Okay. So that's another issue of what could be causing insulin resistance is inflammation. Okay. That inflammation, unfortunately, when we have signaling issues because of the inflammation, it impairs insulin sensitivity and it contributes to, unfortunately, the development of insulin resistance. And when you think about what's happening at the gut level, right? You have leaky gut or you have some form or, or you're on a spectrum. Everything's a spectrum. It's never just one day you wake up and you're diabetic or one day you wake up and you have leaky gut. No, it's something that's been building and building and building and you're on the spectrum and eventually it becomes pathological, meaning it becomes diagnosable. Um, and so, you know, with gluten, unfortunately, leading to leaky gut and causing this inflammatory reaction in the body, um, whether it's due to the cell membrane getting damaged or whether your immune system getting overactive or autoimmune, um, you are disrupting the signaling pathway for insulin. Okay. And that leads to, uh, like I said, other hormonal imbalances um, 
and disruptions in the body. If your body is under attack, if you have this chronic inflammation in the body, your nervous system, you're dis- you're going to be dysregulated. You're going to feel just, you know, I don't know about you, but when you, when I have ever eaten something that doesn't agree with me, um, I sometimes can feel a wave of anxiety. Okay. All of a sudden my heart starts to race or, um, I feel very spacey, um, or like my eyes don't focus as well. My body is really working hard to clear out whatever is going on inside of me. And so when that's happening, you know, like these key hormones that help keep homeostasis, such as cortisol can be elevated. Okay. Um, which is going to unfortunately cause more blood sugar imbalances and even more, um, inflammation. We want cortisol to be elevated at the right times and depressed at the right times. When cortisol becomes chronically elevated, it actually becomes inflammatory. And in reality, cortisol is supposed to be anti-inflammatory. Um, but when things become dysregulated, just like anything, too much of a good thing becomes a problem. And so beyond the inflammation piece, when you have the inflammation leaky gut, then you can start to get into the nutrient deficiencies as well. So when you start to not be able to break down your food and absorb the nutrients from them, assuming you have already a nice, vast, widely diverse diet, then there's certain minerals and vitamins that are vital to insulin sensitivity. Uh, Some of those are magnesium. Okay, chromium, DHEA. Uh, I'm sorry, DHA, um, and so that's that that omega three that is very very important. Um, and of course, um, vitamin D is another one that is incredibly important to the body. You also need the proper amounts of energy in order to have a well-functioning metabolic system. And often when there are gut issues going on, and I see this often in my practice, B12 and iron are usually at, um, are at risk of being deficient. When you aren't getting enough energy to your red blood cells, that's a problem. Okay. And all roads do lead back to the gut, unfortunately. And when we are doing something like ingesting gluten and exacerbating our gut's ability to heal, then it's going to have a massive effect on your hormones, on your immune system, and of course on your metabolic system, which means things like, you know, low energy, hair loss, cravings, weight gain, um, focus issues, memory issues, libido issues, you know, if you're not feeling hot in the bed, um, could it be gluten? It might be gluten. It might be a bunch of other things too. But gluten, why I'm talking about it in this episode is because it's such a prevalent ingredient in so many foods. And it's a wildly debated topic. And I like debated topics. So Just to round out this episode, I don't want it to go too much longer. Uh, I do want to talk about one thing that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's, you know, this gluten-free craze and the greenwashing that happens with products on the market today. So, (laughs) mom, sorry if you listen to this podcast and this episode, I love you. So I love my mom to death and she's been working on cleaning up her diet for years. And, you know, we fight a lot about this because we have varying opinions and views. Um, but you know, she'll do her best. She'll come uh, to my house and she'll be like, look, honey, I brought this and it's gluten-free and you know, gluten-free means healthy. And I know 
I have, you know, the audience that are listening may think that and some people may know other, but most people do believe if it's gluten-free, it's healthy. And so that's one instance. And then the other, my husband the other day sent me a picture of a Butterfinger wrapper and it was still closed. He didn't eat it. And the bottom of it said gluten-free. And he, the caption to the text was, so it's healthy? Question mark. (laughs) And so obviously that's a little bit less, uh, a little more obvious of no, this is not healthy. But, you know, like I said, my mom will bring something home that says gluten-free and then you turn it around and look at the ingredients and okay, so they removed the gluten, but they added a bunch of other shit to it because the gluten is what made it taste good to begin with. So you unfortunately get processed, different processed flours, which, you know, brown rice flour is a popular one. Cassava root flour is a popular one. But if you're dealing with blood sugar imbalances, if you're dealing with prediabetes or diabetes, these types of products may be gluten-free, but they're still going to break down and absorb very quickly and spike your blood sugar. Okay. So some of the more healthier versions can still be deadly depending on what's up for you and your body. Besides those, they usually add a ton more gums or they'll add sugar to the product or some form of sugar to the product, not to mention natural flavors, um, citrus, citric uh, acid, which can be from black mold, um, and other anti-caking agents. Um, And so unfortunately, just because it says gluten-free or the package is green or it says certified organic doesn't mean that they don't fill it with other stuff that's going to impact your digestive system, your inflammatory system, and ultimately your metabolic uh, system. So please, 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 Uh, If you learn nothing from today's episode, start looking at your labels. Start reading your labels and educating yourself just because it says gluten-free. Do not let that fool you that it's the right choice um, for for you. And then just to finish off, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of insight of where you can find products that are gluten-free but also... Um, not going to trick you <laughs> into, um, you know, buying something that has additives that aren't going to be supportive of you. So let me just give you a high level of what is safe. Now, obviously, you got to do your research. You got to look at the package. You got to, you know, organic, gluten-free, non-GMO. Um, obviously, the better way to go gluten-free is to eat whole foods only, things with no barcodes, things that don't come in a package, things with no nutritional label. Um, and um, so things like amaranth, arrowroot, beans, flax, flax meal, obviously fruit, gluten-free flours we talked a little bit about, millet, nuts, quinoa, rice, seeds, sorghum, Uh, soy, tapioca, teff, and obviously vegetables. These are the types of products that we want to be considering if we're working to replace gluten in our systems, in in our meal preps and meal plans. Okay, so that is what I wanted to um, go over with you today. Then um, if you are looking for more support on how to clean up your diet, how to eat more anti-inflammatory, if you want to chat about my programs and supporting my clients, I want you to head over to Instagram at BeBodyEmpowered and drop me a message there. And I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for stopping by. Take care. (music) 